0: Hey everybody, welcome to The Whole Church Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Joshua Knoll, and I am here with your other co-host, T.J. Tiberius-Juan Blackwell. Hello, hello. And we are joined once more by a very special guest, um, the brilliant Dr. Tremper Longman III. Welcome back to the show, man.
1: Uh, thanks, Joshua. Hi, T.J., um, and thanks for the compliment. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But uh, shout out to our patrons, uh, Austin, Russell, Sandra, Lily, Janine, or Jeannie, who is Janine? Aaron, Justin, Frida, Taryn, and Dawn. And uh, if you want your name added to that list, hop on over to patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast. Yeah, I think you can figure it out from there,
0: but... Oh yeah. And, um, today, uh, it's kind of a special one. Um, for those of you who follow the show long term, you know that we do this series called dividing scriptures and we're kind of in between Job and Exodus right now, just going over different views people have and how we can have unity and disagree on these things. And, uh, Dr. Longman has written a little bit on both. Uh, but there's one book that is, um, I'm trying to think what it is. It's, um, what is it like? Not It's not contradictions of the Old Testament. It's
1: oh, Old Testament
0: controversies, controversies. There we are. Yeah. yeah. So he's written a book of Old Testament and controversies where he writes about his view in contrast of some other people's views of biblical history. So we're going to talk some about that and some of his views on Job and just kind of have a fun time with all that. Um, before we do my favorite form of unity, we like to start with a silly question. Uh, Because it's basically impossible to argue when you're being silly. Um, And I've made this one somewhat topic relevant since we're talking a little bit about Job. Um, If you could have either the Leviathan, the Behemoth, or the Ziz as a pet, (laughs) which would you choose? Uh, TJ, would you like to answer first? So
2: I think the Ziz would be a pretty sick pet. But. I think Leviathan would be by far the easiest to feed. (laughs) So I would choose Leviathan because, you know, he has to stay in the water anyway.
0: (laughs) He's going to hunt for himself. I wasn't even thinking about having to feed them. I'm still going with the Ziz (laughs) because it's just too cool not to go with. (laughs) Um, All right. uh, Dr. Trimper Longman. Uh, Yeah.
1: (laughs) Which I go with. Yeah. That's a hard choice. Uh, You know, two are biblical. The other one's coming out of Jewish mythology. Though the ziz is a biblical word. Um, Yeah, that's a hard one. I've always been partial to Leviathan, though, because of the fact that it's not only mentioned in the Bible, but it's uh, mentioned in ancient Near Eastern Canaanite texts, Ugaritic, where it's described as a seven-headed sea monster. So maybe feeding it is not not so easy as we think there are seven mouths that have, but, and the many heads of Leviathan are mentioned in Psalm 74, but not in Job. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause then, you know, which head swallowed Job. Yeah, exactly. I guess it all goes to one stomach. Yeah. Um, mm, problem. Which absolutely. Leviathan do you choose though? Yeah, actually, actually, I don't know whether you can see it well, but, uh, That's not Leviathan in the center there. That's actually probably Tiamat, who's also a sea monster with only one head, but dragon-like. I have a bracket
0: up on my wall. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. We're all a little partial to sea monsters, it seems.
1: That's right. I
0: have
2: a whale on me.
1: That's close. (laughs) Yeah, that's
0: right. Well, I mean, for those who don't know, TJ's wearing a hockey jersey of the Whalers, I think. That's the name of the team? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Okay. (laughs) That's
2: the Hurricanes, but they use the Whalers jersey. Anyway, on to the real show. Uh, One reason we love to have return guests on the show is to catch up on their ministries and what they've been up to since they were on the show last. Uh, So what all have you been up to since last May?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I've been uh, writing away, um, as I have been doing for the past 40 years, and I finished uh, Revelation Commentary for Kriegel and um, started work on a book on literary theory in the Old Testament, Um, and then I've been teaching a lot, and mostly by Zoom, (laughs) uh, which uh, which, uh, which is, um, great. Um, but, uh, I'd like to spend, as a matter of fact, I'm supposed to be in Santa Barbara right now, teaching the first two weeks of a couple Old Testament introduction classes at Westmont college live, uh, where I used to teach permanently before I retired and moved to, um, Alexandria, Virginia. Man. Yeah. That would have been
2: cool. Yeah. yeah. Much cooler than our plans that have changed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man.
1: I was also supposed to be in Chicago the weekend beforehand because um, I'm also a senior translator of the New Living Translation, and we are having a meeting to talk about the future. And from there, I was going to go to Georgia to teach Young Life Area and Regional Directors, but the... New Living Translation meeting got postponed because of COVID. The meeting went, uh, the teaching went online. And then, but I'm still right now scheduled to go down to Georgia to teach Young Life area and regional directors. Oh, well, that's cool.
0: Yeah. We yeah. are um, scheduled to uh, go to our respective jobs and then stay home.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> oh, man. Well, the, like I said earlier, the main reason we wanted to have you on was uh, because we've been kind of going over Job and getting ready for Exodus coming up. And um, as an Old Testament scholar, yeah, your opinion is pretty, pretty important to us. And I feel like you know pretty well the different views on these books. Um, but more broadly, what would you say the book of Job is about?
1: Well, yeah. And, and I've written a pretty lengthy commentary on Job and co-authored How to Read Job with John Walton. Um, And in there, I argue that the book of Job is primarily about wisdom, you know, and answering the question, who is wise? Uh, and, and, And that the book is essentially kind of a wisdom debate where all the human participants are shown to be inadequate as they grapple with uh, Job's suffering. So the book's not primarily about suffering. It's about wisdom. But we do learn some important things about suffering from the book. The first thing we learn is that it's wrong to to believe that all suffering is a result of sin, which is the position of the three friends and eventually Elihu. But uh, but also, um, it's kind of teaching you how to suffer as well. You know, that that, that it's okay to complain to God about your suffering. Um, we learned that from the Lament Psalms as well, but that eventually God wants to get us to the point of trusting him in the midst of our suffering, which is where Job is at the end of the book. And before he's restored, he, he doesn't know he's going to be restored. So he thinks he's going to continue to suffer, but Nonetheless, he uh, repents of his charge of God being unjust in his suffering. You know, he's not repenting of something that led to his suffering in the first place. So, I mean, that's (laughs) that's that's basically an overview, I think, of what the book of Job's about.
0: Right. I I was looking. I'm pretty sure I have that commentary on that bookshelf here, but I know I have the How to Read Job on my. It's been on my nightstand by the bed for the last <laughs> month or two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. While we're going through this, so no, definitely uh, useful resources. Um, I might edit this part out, but I'm going to ask you this anyway. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I know John Piper's website. He he has a lot of. Um, I don't. I don't think he calls it Christian hedonism, but it's it's something like that where the ultimate goal of god is for us all to be happy um how does that how does that mesh with this idea in job that sometimes suffering doesn't come from sin
1: yeah um that's that's a good question which of course john could answer better than i could <laughs> but and I, and by the way i do think they call it christian hedonism, and uh but, yeah, John. but John, I'm pretty sure uh, would say that our true happiness is found in our relationship with God and that we can actually um, experience happiness or joy, even in the midst of suffering, suffering. So um, so I, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think that that's where he's probably coming from.
0: Yeah. Um which I looked it up while we were gunned and I'll leave this alone, but uh, it's, it is on desiring God. So that is John Piper. It is Christian hedonism is the conviction that God's ultimate goal is the world, his glory, and our deepest desire to be happy are one and the same.
1: Yeah. So yeah. there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember how, <laughs> How the Catechism talks about how we find our true happiness in in our relationship with god, so so yeah, happiness and
0: suffering aren't necessarily pinned against each other in this then,
1: yeah, um you know i i I would say that um it's possible to be happy or to experience joy in the midst of suffering. But like Job teaches us, that's not our first reaction, and uh, and certainly not my first reaction. And I, I again, I think Job teaches us how to suffer, and the lament psalms give us permission to be upset and angry and disappointed in God, as long as we take our disappointment to God. So um, yeah, so that'd be an interesting question to ask Piper. Um, yeah, so if you're yeah. listening, give me give me an email. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So uh,
2: what are some of the biggest misconceptions you've heard about the book of Job?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, there are a few misconceptions from my perspective, and they're, the issues are debatable. The first one is a lot of people think the book is about suffering, that it's going to, when they first approach it, they think that they're going to find out why they suffer. And that's, uh, that's not something that the book ever uh, answers. Job never finds out why he suffered, for instance. A second misconception, in my opinion, is to think that the book of Job is, is talking about uh, a real person and that person's experience. I think that, um, the book of Job, and this is my friend John Walton's term, is a thought experiment that is uh, created in order to, um, to to address these issues that we're talking about, about wisdom. Who's wise? God's the ultimate wise person, the book says. Um, now, when we come to the book of Exodus, I'm going to robustly defend the fact that the book of Exodus is talking about history. Uh, Job is a different type of book. The book of Exodus is about redemptive history. It's about God entering into space and time and saving his people. The book of Job um, isn't a book of redemptive history. It's what we, many of us call a wisdom book, like Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, where the historicity of the story doesn't, um, or the, the theological significance of the story doesn't depend on it being historical. And you get, in my opinion, uh, a number of signals from the book that it's somewhat distanced from history, if nothing else. For instance, the many, many, many chapters of poetry, um another uh misconception is from people to my theological left who i i'm not sure this is a misconception as much as a misconstrual uh many modern and postmodern interpreters hate the book of job's ending because you have this authoritative voice, namely Yahweh speaking at the end and also kind of putting Job in his place. Whereas uh, many contemporary people and biblical scholars would prefer to have the dialogue continue in the end rather than having God step in at the end. Uh, But, <laughs> but he does, and I'm glad he does personally.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So oh. I, um, I'm trying to remember. I think it was the Book of Job. There was one book that C.S. Lewis does, didn't think was literal history that caused a whole to do in his time. I, I want to say that was Job as well.
1: I wouldn't but be surprised. Sure. I don't know that for sure. I mean, today there, well, um, uh, C.S. Lewis wouldn't if that's his view, wouldn't wouldn't be alone. I mean, and I'm not, <laughs> <Yeah. alone. laughs> but, right. but again, I mean, my challenge to those of you who, um, my challenge to, to those who have trouble with the idea that, um, that job isn't historical, I'd be interested to know, and I've asked this and I haven't gotten a persuasive <laughs> answer, what difference it makes to our, Uh, understanding of the book and our application of the book. But if you want me to get real, a little more controversial still on the book of Job, another misconception, (laughs) this is a big one. And, and that is uh, that. Hasatan, which is the Hebrew, the accuser. uh, And is often translated Satan in The book of Job, Satan ain't Satan, namely the devil in the (laughs) book of Job. So, uh, uh, and for one thing, one of the signals of that is, as I said, in Hebrew, it's ha satan. Ha is the word, is the definite article, the. So it's the satan. Satan is a Hebrew verb, which means to accuse or to be an adversary of. So, um, so so that the accuser hasatan is actually um one of god's angels he after all he's he's reporting with all the other angels all the other sons of god to god in heaven and he's one that goes back and forth and he's reporting back to god um and it's a very what we call anthropomorphic picture of god uh because of course god doesn't need somebody to be reporting to him <laughs> Uh have you considered my servant Job, you know, and um but it's the way to create the situation that's gonna be discussed in the book. So I, I think this angel is like um God's uh CIA, you know, he's out there reporting back to to God. Yeah. So um so a lot of people want to think it's the devil because they think in some way that alleviates God from responsibility for afflicting Job, but it really doesn't, right? Because if God is giving permission to the devil to go <laughs> afflict Job, that raises some interesting theological issues. In I, and never, up- I never liked that, that version of the story. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. So those are a few places.
0: <laughs> yeah, Just a few. Plenty place. more, I'm sure. Yeah.
2: Uh, so what would you say are the biggest hermeneutic arguments about the book today?
1: Um, well, connected to those issues that I brought up, um, those are are the issues. You know, should you treat it as history? Is the devil, is Satan the devil? Uh, is Hasatan the devil? Um, you know, um, what is the significance of Job repenting at the end of the book? Um, yeah, are Leviathan and Behemoth real animals? Uh, Um, it it, it, kind of depends on too with whom you are talking. Uh, if you're talking to some of my more, um, Historical critical colleagues, there are some issues. If I'm talking to my evangelical colleagues, there there are other issues. Um, But there's still a large, oh, another issue, a hermeneutical issue that maybe was talked about more in a previous generation. But also the question is, was Job written at one time by one person or did the book of Job? actually grow over time uh for instance there are people who argue uh because Elihu kind of pops out of nowhere uh in chapter what is it um 30 well i forget exactly what i think it's 32 <laughs> but um but Elihu come you know Comes out of nowhere. And then when he finishes talking, nobody talks about him, you know, Uh, and at the end, God speaks to Job and the three friends, but not to Elihu. So some people think that Elihu, the Elihu section was added later. Um, Maybe so. But my response to that is it doesn't matter when that section of Job was added, what is scripture to us is the final form of the book, which we have. And so we need to interpret the final form of the book and not worry about earlier forms of the book.
2: Hey guys, we just wanted to take a quick break to tell you a few ways that you could support The Whole Church Podcast, your favorite church unity podcast.
0: Yeah, so you could follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You could share this episode. On your own social media, you can donate to us on Cash App with the tag in the show notes. You could follow us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast. You can subscribe to the show wherever great podcasts are found. You could rate us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Or... You could sign up for our newsletter on our website or by emailing us at thewholechurch at gmail.com.
1: Yeah,
2: especially that last one. It's the best way for you to be connected with us and what we're doing with the podcast. Yeah. And we have a devotion on there and a word of the month.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of good stuff.
2: It's in Hebrew or Greek.
0: You want to get back to the show? Yes. Yeah, I... One thing that was interesting in doing all of this was, uh, and we'll move on to Exodus after this. I, um, I, I came across, which is funny, this, this is the first random argument I've ever came across because growing up, I just like to read the Bible a lot. Yeah. I actually have two different chronological Bibles that put Job in wildly different places. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have one that's like Job happens in the middle of Genesis. And then one is, it's the second exit, you know, the second, um, I can't think of the, thing, the, the word now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Period. Probably. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Like over there with like Ezra and yeah, yeah, those books, right. Yeah, which, you know, when I was high school reading this, I didn't know anything. I was like, oh, that's yeah. just weird. <laughs> and, you know, I had no idea why that mattered. Um, does it matter what context we put Job in or could the story have happened at any point and still have the same meaning?
1: That's a great question. And by the way, I, I I I did one of those chronological Bibles for Tyndale years ago uh, with Grant Osborne. He did the Old Testament. I don't remember where I put Job. It was so long. Ago. <laughs> I was about to ask. <laughs> I think they have a new chronological Bible, but um, but here is here is how I would answer that. Uh, you have to, there are really two questions, and it sounds like these two chronological Bibles are being driven by uh different uh, reasons one is there's no question but that the story of the book of job is early okay it's early it's it's you know job is not an israelite the three friends are not israelites they're edomites they uh which may be suggestive of a sort of pre-abrahamic moment uh, not necessarily. But the other way, the other indication is the way that his riches are described in terms of herds and flocks. It sounds it sounds early. So the story's early, but that doesn't mean that the book was written early. It, be, it means that the book was set early. And I do think that there is a good argument to be made that the book of Job, at least as it's completed, is one of the later books but i don't totally agree i mean a lot of a lot of a lot of people interpret the book of job as kind of a parable of the israelites themselves in a later period and and i'm i'm not convinced of that so if i were doing the chronological bible today because of the fact that the story is early i would probably put it early all right but that, I agree. Uh, yeah. yeah.
0: So anybody out, out there listening, uh, if you want to read the Bible in order that it happened, now, now you know. I know that's been driving some of y'all crazy. Uh, <laughs> listen, it actually has been driving me crazy. So I'm not actually picking on anybody. If if you happen to be listening to this and you're with me and you're like, where do I read this? Now you know. <laughs> um, so concerning the book of Exodus, uh, what we're getting ready to go into next with our dividing scripture series um, there's a ton of debate on how historically accurate it is or, you know, a lot of the Bible history is. Yeah. Um, and in your book that I mentioned er- earlier, the controversies of the Old Testament or Old Testament controversies, um, you lay out a few different takes on biblical history. And then you put where you believe and then you contrast your beliefs with some others, including Pete Enns, who's been on the show before. So I'd, I'd like to call him a friend of the show. I yeah. think he remembers it. So that counts. (laughs) Uh, Could you explain your position to our listeners?
1: Yeah. So um, my view is that the book of Exodus is making historical claims, uh, which differentiates it from the book of Job, in my opinion. Book of Exodus is an integral and important part of the history of redemption, describing how, you know, after the fall God pursues human beings in order to uh, reconcile with them. Um, I think that uh, the book of Job's theological significance depends on it actually having happened because, um, because of the fact that the message of the book of Job is that God can save you when you are beyond uh, human resources. So a psalm like Psalm 77 uh, looks back and, um, first of all, the psalmist is lamenting, you know, his situation. He blames God for, for, you know, the suffering that he's going through. He can't sleep. But then all of a sudden, like many laments, it has this transition to a note of confidence, you know, and it praises God. And a lot of the laments, you know, you get this transition to confidence or praise after lamenting. And there's no explanation. It's almost as if the (laughs) psalmist had, you know, a lobotomy between verses 22 and 23. Uh, But no, um, here the psalmist cites the mighty acts of God. And then at the end, he talks specifically about the crossing of the sea and how God opened the sea to allow the Israelites to go through to escape the Egyptians and the Egyptians, um, of course, receiving judgment when the waters close. So what I say about that is that the Exodus is establishing a kind of track record for God. Um, How can I trust God to save me in my distress or hope that he might choose to save me, that he's able to do it? Well, he's done it in the past. So if you say to the Psalmist, Hey, you know, it's a good story, but it never actually happened. It really loses its power. I think. So what my friends who, um, my friends who, have trouble affirming the historicity of the exodus uh, would say is that there's no direct evidence of the exodus from Egyptian records or from Egyptian records, uh, because that's one of the first things I would say, well, there is direct evidence of the exodus. It's called the book of exodus, Um, but they want a collaborating account from, say, the Egyptians, and they might raise the question, why don't we hear about about this in Egyptian records. And my response to that would be the Egyptians were not in the practice of highlighting their failures and defeats, right? Most of the Egyptian accounts that we have from antiquity are things on pyramid walls or obelisks. And that's not something you put on monumental architecture. So um, now another friend of mine, Ken Sparks, with uh, uh, we had a conversation about this and he said, well, we do. The Egyptians did mention how the Hyksos who were a group of West Semites about a hundred years before the story of the Exodus, or maybe even more than that. It depends on when you date the Exodus. He goes, well, we learned about the Hyksos defeating the Egyptians, um, But I respond to that by saying, yeah, but that's because it's a success story at the end that the Egyptians ultimately threw them out. And so they had something to celebrate there. Yeah, it's not even
2: uh, it's not even really that they didn't write down their losses. They just didn't lose that much until they lost all at once. We actually
1: have we actually have accounts of a battle between a group called the Hittites from Turkey What modern Turkey uh, and which and it was a superpower in the 13th century Mm
2: -hmm.
1: when they had a big battle with the Egyptians. And we actually in this case have accounts of both of them and they both won. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, naturally but we know from egyptian records that since the egyptian armies didn't go out for a few years after that that they're it's more likely that they lost the battle so they don't like uh admitting defeat who does <laughs>
0: yeah yeah that's uh, analogous to plenty of things in our own time but i uh, i will leave that alone um
1: <laughs>
0: i uh I, I I will say though uh, just to throw in there um which Part of how I got to know Pete Ends was from uh, Richard Friedman. I emailed him about his book, The, yeah.
1: the oh, Exodus.
0: Yeah. And uh, yeah. he goes over and he kind of explains, if we start with the archaeology and then treat the book of Exodus as if it was another archaeological find, a lot of the story falls in place. Yeah. And it's yeah. just kind of like, yeah.
1: Yeah, I like that book a lot. I think um, it's wonderful. And I, I know I know how I used to be in a small group of Hebrew Bible scholars in Southern California with Dick before he went to Georgia. He was at UCSB, uh, UCSD. So um, so I I I like his thesis. I'm not convinced he I'm not convinced yet, though I'm not rejecting it out of hand. You know, his view is that it's a story about the Levites in particular uh um, yeah I, I i agree that sometimes we misconstrue things by not the bible but our own reading of the bible kind of romanticizing it and aggrandizing it and not recognizing say hyperbole and the numbers or something like that as well
0: yeah Man, that's so, a small group i would have liked to have been in on
1: <laughs> oh it was a great small group it was uh A lot of of fun. Uh, It was only about 10, 15 of us uh, sitting around and talking about various topics. And once we had, um, uh, I was held up at Berkeley, Ron Hendel was kind of the organizer at this time. And he had Robert Alder come in, talk to the 10 or 15 of us, the Art of Biblical Narrative guy, Larry Stager, the Harvard archaeologist, and David Carr from Union Seminary. So it was very, uh, I miss those uh, meetings and interactions with those scholars. I think I'm, I think I was the only evangelical in the group, which. (laughs) That sounds fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Just to be a fly on the wall would have been, (laughs) would have been
2: great. Uh, So how are you able to maintain such a close friendship with PN's even as you both publicly disagree on such an important topic.
1: Well, first of all, I have a long history with Pete. He was my student when he was a seminarian uh, at Westminster Theological Seminary. And I'm uh, one of the ones who encouraged him to go off and get a PhD, which he did at Harvard. And when he was done, I was the chair of the department that hired him at Westminster. And, 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 And we've I left Westminster before Pete did, because Westminster was kind of changing in a way that I wanted to go elsewhere. And then um, and and Pete knows I love him as a person and respect him deeply as a scholar and that he um, he. Also, I think even though we disagree on some important matters, I think he's also serving an important role in his teaching. And, um, and we could disagree with civility and, uh, we both like margaritas. And so, (laughs) so (laughs) he was was just out here about, uh, six weeks ago, hanging out. We went over to the museum of the Bible and, uh, and met with the curator over there and Museum of the Bible. By the way, get to DC. Anybody who's listening, you got to go there. It's a great place to I'm love really the Bible. hoping to. And um, and then we went to the Holocaust Museum and we just enjoyed a couple, two or three days. And the reason why we did that was typically uh, we meet up at the Society of Biblical Literature, which this year was in San Antonio. I went, but he decided not to go. So um, so it was a great time. And as I say, I have a great deal of respect for him. He's actually working on a book now that sounds really intriguing and helpful called Curveball, which picks up on the fact that he was quite a pitcher, you know, in his youth for Messiah College. And I think he got drafted by the pros. All I know is when I was his professor, I was also coaching little league. So I drafted him (laughs) to be the pitching coach of my little league team. He's a big Yankees fan. I'm a big Phillies fan. So he's going to come down in the fall so we can watch probably the Yankees play the nationals. Uh, So, yeah. So, we have a lot in common. he's got a great sense of humor um and um yeah, so so that yeah. that's and uh, you know when I wrote that book, which was indeed lovingly critical of some of his views, I had him read it ahead of time and uh and got his reaction. There was one place I won't mention that he wanted me to change that was. And, uh, I decided not to do it and he was still fine with it, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I
0: think if people were to read both of your books, I I feel like, um, just in general, it's one of the most healthy, just (laughs) cool friendships to like get to observe third person where like you, you both mention each other in a kind and generous way. And you're like, yeah, Hey, I disagree with this guy. Also, he's the best. And you're like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, it's something I love. I think it's a great example of church unity. Um, So maybe hopefully one day we can get you both on at the same time. That'd be awesome just to talk (laughs) about. Yeah. How y'all disagree well and um, how others can learn to do that. Be helpful. Um, So as you know, we like to ask all of our guests just as a last question, if you had to give our listeners a single tangible action, something they could go out and do right now, that would help maintain unity in the church. What would it be?
1: Ah, well, I mean, I think uh, the idea of being able to disagree over secondary matters civilly uh, is one of them. And I'll just take that over to another realm by saying, put God first and politics second, right? And uh, <laughs> yeah, and and respect other people's. Uh, political views, or at least try to understand them before you attack them. Right. So I also also wrote a book on the Bible and uh, public policy recently called The Bible and the Ballot. So I've been um, been engaged in those kind of discussions as well. Yeah, I think I have it on
0: my list, but I don't have it yet. (laughs) But it's coming.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, thank
2: you. Thank you. Uh, what do you think we would see change if everyone started doing that?
1: Well, um, well, I think w- what would change if we all started doing that is uh, reversing a horrible trend, which is our churches being ripped apart over uh, political issues, um, and and so so I, I i guess maybe the only thing i'd say to maybe change a bit of your language is um how do we maintain unity i think right now we have to ask how do we get it back <laughs> you know in this area um in particular so
0: yeah um what, what is it that the Lorax says uh, unless someone like you <laughs> <laughs> Uh, was it, 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 I can't remember the exact quote. I I remember a lot. Nothing. It's like, uh, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. That's what it mm -hmm. is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 So, well, I think, you know, in in terms of political differences, I think that, um, that, you know, there's certain values that all Christians need to stand up for where the debate though takes place is how you get there. You know Uh, for instance, you know, um, uh, you know, every, everybody would like to see people economically well off. um, But what public policies will get you there better? You know, is it, straight out unregulated capitalism is it you know socialism uh you know maybe something in between But, but those are those are areas that should be civilly discussed among christians
0: oh yeah right
2: uh so with that being said you know hopefully everyone can take that advice Uh, But we'd also like to get on to our God moment segment, which uh, is, you know, something we do every episode. Uh, It's just where we share a moment from recently in our lives where we saw God, whether that be a blessing or a challenge or a moment of worship. And I always like to make Josh
0: go first. Just because. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I um, I got a lot of school and just personal stuff going on that's. Kind of all stressful stuff like nothing. Yeah. And I have managed to focus on the good where my grandmother, my granny, if she's listening, <laughs> um, she just got news that the type of cancer she has is actually very minor and easily treated. She got that yesterday and I'm about to go see her right now and I'm pretty excited about it.
2: All right. Uh, I'll go next. Give our esteemed guests as much time as possible. Uh, I I think my God moment, if you've been around for a while, you know, I I see God in the little things uh, because he's in all things, but little things happen more. Uh, So uh, today I got off work at my regularly scheduled time for the first time in a while. It was pretty sweet. Yeah, super yeah. thankful for that.
1: Praise God. All right.
2: <laughs> so, Dr. Well, Longman.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh God moment in a challenge, which uh, you may have heard a couple dings of text messages. I got to figure out how to uh, calm those down. But my 95-year-old mother uh, is is declining at, the moment but I'm seeing God in the midst of the struggle there for her so um, so and as we pray for her and with her yeah
0: right yeah
2: hopefully everyone listening will help out
1: yeah. with that thank and we'll all be praying with you. you thank you thank you yeah she fell three nights in a row and you now is kind of confused but so we're we're thinking a lot and praying a lot for her down in florida she's in sarasota florida fortunately my two sisters are there
2: yeah all right all right uh thank you for sharing that uh if you enjoyed this episode uh please consider sharing it with a friend or an enemy uh you are always free to choose
0: yeah yeah um if you want to see more of trimper, dr trimper longman the third's work you can google it um <laughs> dr longman if you had to give people listening who haven't read anything of yours yet if you had to give them a first book what book would you like them to start with
1: oh that's that's a great question and it kind of depends on the person where they are but uh but um So if they're a little bit into the Old Testament, that Old Testament controversies book would be an interesting one for them. But if they just want to um, start knowing more about how to read various Old Testament books, I have a series called How to Read with IVP. Where I have how to read Psalms, how to read Job, how to read Exodus, how to read Genesis, How to Read Uh Proverbs, and most recently how to read Daniel. So
0: <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a big one. So
1: yeah, check that out. <laughs> Those are six different books, not just one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Right. Uh some future guests of the show, we have returned guest Kelly O'Sullivan, longtime friend of the podcast and Anglican minister. Uh, Sam Rayner, president of Church Answers and pastor of West Bradenton Baptist Church, Uh, an eight-part series about church offices featuring interviews with 12 different church leaders, and maybe, at the end of season one, Francis Chan.
0: Yeah, he doesn't know yet, but I'm sure he'll figure it out. Yeah, hopefully he does before he's on, at least. Yeah, (laughs) I, I don't know. I think it'd be great if he was just on. I was like, hey, how'd I get here? Right.
2: All right. Thank you so much for your time today, dr longman and audience uh we hope most of you come back next week Uh, dr longman you can if you want uh we won't have anything prepared for you but
0: (laughs) it'd be a fun time still